Hello and welcome to a new episode of Making Things Better and Making Better Things. My name's Mark Shaler. Um, this episode is an interview with Andy Gregson. Andy runs an organisation called Green Labs. Um, Green Labs are currently based in Bermondsey but are moving to, to Brixton soon. It's all about growing, um, growing food. It's all about creating businesses that are much more resilient in terms of food and resources. Um, and I met Andy probably about eight years ago now um, when he was running um, Fab Lab in Bank or he was part of, of, a, of a partnership running Fab Lab. Um, and I was doing a lot of work on the circular economy there. And it always sort of struck me that Fab Lab was about 3D printing and um, and kind of rapid manufacturing, which in its infancy predominantly meant design once, print two or three times rather than design twice and print once. So I, I watched these machines printing out seven shades of shite um, that actually went nowhere, that didn't actually do anything. And whilst 3D printing can be incredibly useful from a sustainability point of view, being able to 3D print a missing uh, dial or a missing uh, clip or valve um, and being able to 3D print really intricate parts that you couldn't manufacture from extractive manufacturing is, is clearly um, beneficial from a, a sustainability point of view. I think in the early days, um, it was just used to print out key rings that were shaped like Darth Vader's head. And, and so I could see this tension in Andy where he was you know, using great technology for the wrong thing. Um, so it no surprise to me at all that what he did in the end, when, that, when, when Fab Lab ran its natural course, it was run by two, two amazing guys, one of which was Andy, one of which was a fellow called Tony Fish, um, came to its, its natural conclusion. Um, he went and set up Green Labs. And as I said, Green Labs is all about trying to, trying to create um, more resilient um, methods of, of food production. Some of those methods are, are around um, microgreens and looking at algae, spirulina, uh, mushrooms. Some of them are around about alternative proteins, which we always gravitate towards insects, um, which A, taste like shite, and B, um, actually, I, I'd much rather eat more chickpeas or, or other legumes. So um, Andy's covering both of those bases in the work that he does. So it, it was a really fascinating conversation um, and the stuff that's going on at Green Labs is super exciting. And the challenge is gonna be how we scale this. Um, how we scale it will determine whether or not this is successful, whether or not we can take on um, some of the environmental challenges of the future. And also, there's a little bit of this that's, that's really piratey. It's not just about alternative ways of growing things. It's also about alternative businesses and setting up organizations that can begin to counter um, those huge conglomerates, those huge corporates um, like Monsanto that control the means of production of our food. Um, and when, that, when the control of that is in too few hands, it, it can't be healthy, no matter how great those companies are and I'm not casting aspersions on any of them um, if you concentrate power then then, then stuff you know, you know inevitably goes wrong so food is the future we are what we eat all of that stuff have a listen to Andy and um, I'll talk to you afterwards my mate Andy Gregson Andy tell me about yourself where do I start the at beginning? the beginning <laughs> um, I guess I get asked this question a lot so I mean if, if, if I go back 
40 years to when I was nine years old. I was an avid um, Jacques Cousteau, Gerald Durrell, David Attenborough fan. I used to love the outdoors, you know, things I used to, you know, as any kid with a magnifying glass and a bit of leaf, you try and start a fire in the back garden. Yeah. But I was also curious about, you know, bird's eggs, about ants, centipedes, fish. And so that kind of curiosity of a, I guess, a nine-year-old combined with the 40 years of experience in places like British Telecom, for God's sake, Sky TV, Apple Computers, at the time of Yahoo, um, has brought me to a place where I can, I guess, combine that curiosity of a, a young lad in, I guess, a space where I'm starting to combine design, science, agriculture, art, engineering, in a space where you can play, you can invent, you can innovate, and you can create you know, really interesting, I guess, concepts and ideas for a planet that's facing, or will face, a food security, water security crisis in the next, what, 50 years as we approach the UN's 2050 target of 10 billion people. We've already seen that. You know, I mean, if you look at London the past, what, six weeks? Yeah. Heat wave. Yeah. Not just a heat wave, a fierce heat wave. I'm dripping. Yeah. Well, I think it's if you it's great, you know, for those who love the sun, it's fantastic. But in reality, you know, our resources on this planet are being misused, misappropriated in some respects, and not being fully understood in terms of the challenges we're going to face in the next, you know, like I said, the generation from now. Yeah. I'm not going to change, you know, the world. Uh, but I can at least, if I can at least give insight into some younger minds that they can move half a degree to the right over their lifetime, that half a degree is quite a big shift. Yeah. You know, um, thinking about where your food comes from, thinking about using robotics, thinking about using AI, big data, drones, or just the basics of you plant a seed, you water, and it grows. You know, what are the nutritional requirements for a seed in soil or coir? Two different, completely different things. So I'm, I've, you know, created this space, Green Lab. It, the inspiration came from Kew Gardens. I live near Kew Gardens. I've spent some time in Barcelona at a place called Valdara. It's a huge forest. At the heart of it, it's a kind of farmhouse with a maker space at the bottom of it. It's a green Fab Lab. I started Fab Lab London. Ran that for what four years. And I realised actually, you know, Green Lab is actually a fab lab, but it's 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 matured. It has a focus. It's got a purpose. It's not just about teaching kids to code and robotics and three D printing. It's actually how do you put these technologies into practice into a domain that really matters and makes a difference. And for me, it was about food, waste, and water. That's brilliant. There's loads in there. Number one, that's like the whole podcast condensed. So that's ace. I like that. Number two, there's absolutely loads in there. And the thing that the, the, the thing that I want to come back to again and again, I suspect, throughout the session is, um, is play. You talked about play a lot, the space to play. You talked about as a kid setting fire with a magnifying glass to leaves. Andy, I, you probably did the same thing. I did ants as well. I, was, I wasn't going to say ants because I thought it might be, but I've done ants. Yeah, we, we were cruel. Like, like Kids are cruel. And it's, and it's about experimentation. And that safe space to play is really rare these days within organizations we're not given safe space to play we're given quarterly targets monthly targets weekly targets and then within and within um, our normal relationships within normal life the space to play is, is is reduced because of the pressures upon us so so what i love 
is both here and at Fab Lab, because I knew you were at Fab Lab as well, you did create this protected space to play. What is it about you? What is it that about you? And also about Tony and Fab Lab, but also the people that you work with here, that, that, uh, that, that allows you or encourages you to embrace play rather than see it as superflu superfluous? I think you know, being able to play in a space in London of this size, I'm very lucky. So you know, I've got to give my hat off to the guys at Three Space mm. who take over a meanwhile property and turn it into you know a meaningful use. So you know, Andrew Cribb and Harry, you know, kudos. I think the for me, play is a space where you know you don't have any commercial concerns. I mean, I've got you know commercial concerns, but they're not as great as sitting somewhere in the middle of Oxford Street. Being yeah. charged two hundred pound a square foot for your retail outlet. For me, plays about looking at things from completely different perspectives and just experimenting. It's being afraid to fail and fail fast, or just to experiment and try different things, things that you'd think that might not work but actually do work. Yeah. But it's also about combining the knowledge of other people. You know, my background is I've got a first class degree in design. Uh, I failed my computer science A level. Uh, I, yeah, I'm deeply technical. I understand. You know, technologies from you know I can convert with programmers and I can convert with a CTO. I understand that you know the commercial implications of technology. It's I guess it's looking at play that spans different sectors of so science, looking at arts, design, communication, the commercial impacts, the economics of what you're trying to do. Yeah. So doing it in that context where you're not constrained by oh we have to meet we have to deliver product X by Y using these resources. For me, it's more about well we've got a bunch of resources. Uh, I'm missing a few, I'll go and find some. I need somebody to do this, I'll go and find them. It's having that, I guess, runway to experiment. And, and how much has technological development um, driven your ability to do that? Because there's a couple of things that you said that really fascinated me. When, when you talk to a lot of people in the growing area, I hate the word space, other than physical space, but, yeah. but in, in, in this world, they tend to eschew technology. They tend to they tend to be a bit cynical about it, if not eschew it. You embrace it. I do, I do, but I think there's you know the vertical farming community is is growing, and a lot of that is sometimes throwing technology at a farming challenge. Yeah, I'm not saying it's the right solution because actually, if you look at some of the larger farms, the capital investment to get the thing up and running is in the hundreds of millions, sometimes tens of millions. Yeah. Whereas having a plot of land with some well um, mature soil you can grow some really tasty produce that I'm sure Dan Barber will be proud of so I think technology I'm, I'm happy to, to use technology where appropriate I don't see it as the be all and end all you know permaculture doesn't rely on tech no no but you could use a bunch of sensors to just to kind of get a general feel of well are we going in the right direction and picking out and planting could be well we've just for the audio we've just been looking at a robot and the investigative on Kickstarter a few years ago months ago yeah it's, it's, it's the Dupont they're a Chinese company they've probably got an office in San Francisco somewhere judging by the Kickstarter marketing PR but it's a robot that will allow us to do pick and place it's got a camera so we can do some vis vision, vision recognition so we could probably look at you know either killing bugs with a laser or just picking out the right crops when we know it's germinated we've just gone straight back to little boys with magnifying glasses it's the same thing it's exactly the same thing but for me the key thing that I've got to develop with this space or at least provide a runway for or, or impactful businesses that do change people's lives it's not just a 
playground because you know I need to be able to justify why I'm doing this and I have to make impact so whether it's we develop a more efficient um, sanitary based toilet system that we can deploy into say you know sub-saharan Africa that's going to change a million people's lives if you look at India how many people are without clean sanitation the majority it's it's in the hundreds of millions yeah yeah and so and we're worrying about now oh the microgreens are growing too slow who cares yeah, yeah there's, well, I, there's some real basics. I was I was going to ask because, you know, knowing you at, at Fab Lab where it was a place to play, but I couldn't see a purpose attached to it other than pure play. There seems to be a real quantum shift in your thinking from 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 that to having this having 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 sustainability for want of another word, riven through everything you do, like like the words Blackpool through a stick of rock. Yeah, what happened to you? Nothing changed. I just think I was I was in a. I was in a cave without any lights, and when I opened the windows a little bit, I could see actually, oh, that's the direction I was in. I think I think Fab Lab just gave me the gave me the insight in terms of running a co-working space or a maker space with a bunch of machines. Half of them were bloody pre nineteen sixty, which was the wrong kind of machine from my perspective. But I'm sure Tony will love that comment. <laughs> um, for me, it was, it was always I, I was always in the space. I just never had the opportunity to kind of break out and and do it. I mean, if you look at the lab towards the end of it it was green there's bloody aquaponics there systems were. everywhere yeah. yeah and i realized actually this is where it's going so 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 applying that technology applying that play for a purposeful outcome that's what makes it all work to me i mean i've been in sustainability for 28 years now yeah really old i feel really old right now um and and i've been i've been courted by the flirtation of 3D printing, but I could just see us 3D printing our way to some kind of hellhole. What I see now is I see your focus on food, primarily essential. And and you said we might face shortages in 50 years. We might face shortages in a year. Well, we are now. If you look at the, I mean, the Thames water put in a hosepipe ban which is for all those middle-class people who've got a lawn and a hosepipe, God, they're going to be up in arms. But for those in a tower, in a tower block without a, a hosepipe and a garden, they don't give a shit. Of course they don't, as long as they've got clean water to drink. Yeah, I think, for me, you know, the space, the sp- this space over the past two years has been a playground for me to develop the concept. Yeah. We haven't, we've achieved, I think I set out to achieve what I've achieved, which is to basically establish Green Lab as a vehicle, as a platform, as a space. And now we've got to grow up We've got to make some real change in the way we operate. I, we've got to become a bit more commercially savvy, and that we were going to move, you know, the next three months to a new facility. We've got to generate real income to fund what we're doing, but at the same time, we've created a bit of a, well, not a bit of a wave. I guess we've created a, a splash in a pond. It's a small pond because mm. you know food, waste, and water in London is quite a, is quite a niche domain. I don't see any other maker spaces or fab labs doing this. Certainly not in the UK. No, I agree with you entirely. In, in Europe, yeah. I mean, there's Thomas Diaz and Jonathan Mitchin down in Valdara. Those are the ones that inspired me. But for me, it's to develop Green Lab into not just a UK, but also a European facility. So I have a, you know, a satellite site somewhere you know, in a different part of different, a different biome. So southern Spain, hot, arid, dry, water's yeah. an issue. Let's try something. But it needs... It's not the thing is Green Lab's not just about me, and that's always been the. It's a network. It's got to be a network, hasn't it? It, it is, but for, you know, the, the lunatic who spent a week building out wooden tables in this room, is sat here talking to you about the green space. Nobody else would have spent 
you know, 600 quid on screws to build the space out. So it needs more of more of a mindset of more people who've got a similar mindset, I guess, to myself, willing to go the extra mile to make the change, to commit to it, to make. And I need to find those people. You know, we spoke about your role in this from the get-go, and you've always got a seat at the table. There's Pierre Jean, uh, there's John the farmer, there's Ed, there's Anushka, there's Pierre, Pierre, there's Paige. There's lots of people who are really interested Kent. in this space. Kent, but at the end of the day. You know, they're not going to work for love. Though at some point they're going to need to be able to, you know, buy that pint of milk or soya or bread or whatever. So it it, it needs to work commercially. And so we have to be sustainable. It it, it has to. And and there's there's loads to pick out here. We'll try and do it in some order. So firstly, having some kind of supported hot desk, supported office space for others to rent makes enormous sense. It feeds your business model. Yeah, it's it's, it's passive income and it helps build it. And you've attracted great people. You've attracted amazing, over the last two years, you've had some great businesses come in here, use it as a launch pad and grow and go elsewhere from animal pro, from insect protein, right the way through to microgreens. Yeah. Number two, I think the need to grow more in the UK is more urgent than we realize. Listening to the news this morning, listening to the food shortage predictions this morning because of Brexit, because of not being able to get stuff approved. This is terrifying. We're three, we're three days, we're nine meals from anarchy. I remember that one, yeah. yeah. And you're part of this solution. And yes, in climate change, yes, in drought, yes, in, in 20 years time, you're going to be a massive part of this solution. But actually, I think we might be needing you a bit earlier than that. How do we manage or marry that long-term challenge with actually the short-term demand as well? That's a good question. I've got to think about how to answer that. My, my view on, I get short-term is, I'm, my challenges are, I don't think I can impact short-term agricultural practices because I don't have access to a large agriculture network or I don't, I don't know enough about the systems and how they work. I think there's people who are far more qualified than I am, who you know, are part of the NFU, who are part of the kind of UK farming network, who can try to, I guess, fill the stopgap when those lettuces don't come across Mount Maria, yeah, in the next two years. Yeah. God forbid if that happens. I think longer term, for me, a couple of initiatives. I'm looking to establish something called Citizen Farm, which is where we help skill individuals in kind of technology and farming practices and give them spaces to grow. That's amazing. I need I need land. We have the concept. We need investment. We need people to help support and drive that. That's a I guess that's a bit of a longer term project. But that's giving people the skills to farm almost like on a kind of hyper local level to distribute food within our networks. Rather than having ten farms, we've got ten thousand, but they're smaller. Yeah. But these things are you know, they could be idealistic. You know, you, I mean, I'm sure John uh, Capalonga, who's one of our well, our advisors would laugh at me and say, you know, urban agriculture is a fad. Yeah, and he does. I, know. Yeah. I think there are challenges to face. But well, the words me, are right, aren't they? The, word, the words are right. Why, why are we even using the word urban? Isn't it modern agriculture? Isn't it small-scale agriculture? Isn't it Yeah, I think there's, there's lots of buzzword bingo in this whole industry, I think. From yeah. big data, AI, machine learning, urban ag, it's all, it's all I guess... Um, put into the kind of common vernacular people trying to understand it they can put you know, urban agriculture and it's just a simple 
commercial And it's also just emerging, Andy, so I guess people will cling to those words because it helped define who they are. Yeah, yeah. So, it, <sighs> I mean, for me, the, the, the space, I'm not going to create the solutions for everything. You know, I, might, I may have a great, I mean, my personal interest is in algae yeah. and mariculture which I haven't yet had a chance to explore here, which I require larger tanks, maybe do some um, um, shrimp, maybe some uh, seaweed, yeah. spirulina we've explored, but I need to do this on a larger scale. Most protein-dense plant on the planet, um, source of protein on the planet. Yeah, but also it's, it requires systems that are consistent. The ones I have are not consistent, they're inconsistent, but I've got past base one, I can grow cultures. But you've played. Yeah, I've played. And you know what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And so what's the big vision? What's the, you know, the, the, this is ACE, and it's, it's lovely to cycle down to Bermondsey and to, and to have a far too infrequent play here. But where are you going to go next? There's, there's two places for me. One is um, we have a site in Brixton, which will give us 5,000 square feet of office space that we can completely destroy and turn into a kind of a messy <laughs> space. So Brixton will become, I think, our UK headquarter for Green Lab. I've also got aspirations to develop a large-scale farming initiative in southern Spain. Yeah. Where we take that 500 hectare land, divide it up into 50 or 40 or 30 small-scale plots, put at the heart of it a Green Lab and create a vehicle to build and grow small-scale agricultural businesses within a, a Spanish environment. Spain, why Spain? Well, climate. Yeah, um, there's an aging population of uh, farmers, and there's no younger generation coming to no. fill, their boot, fill their boots. And it's the same in Portugal. Yeah, yeah, and they have got they can extend the growing season for a lot of the produce they produce. Whereas in the UK, we're, well, right now we've got a really elongated season because it's bloody summer, maybe through to December. But I think for me, Spain and Portugal are interesting. One because you've got a link to the EU, so the potential for some EU funding. Because I think the UK is screwed with, with regards to EU funding. I agree with you entirely. And, and and it's such a great culture. Yeah. You know, Mediterranean lifestyle is fantastic. So I want to establish something there on a larger scale that gives, I guess, a footprint for a model of, you know, reinventing farming in a, a more condensed form. So it's not, you know, thousands of acres or hundreds of acres. It's small plots that produce diverse mechanisms diverse not mechanism diverse crop forms or insects or algae but it's all part of a kind of circular and a closed loop system so the waste from the tomatoes goes into the insects insect yeah. feed goes into the fish fish is protein fish waste back into plants yeah, it's yeah. creating these closed loop systems i've been involved in some of that cardboard caviar stuff in the past and it's a, before circular economy was a thing it was yeah. a, it, we did it or my friend graham wiles did it and i helped him but it was it was it, it was astonishing and the other benefit of being in spain is yield just the pure yield yeah. is, is is denser yeah um so how are you going to do how are you going to marry those two things up um what was the question again? How are you going to split your time between growing... Oh, sorry. A, yeah, no. a leading edge, cutting edge Brixton make, uh, growing space and getting to scale in Spain? Because without scale, we're fucked. So you've got to do them both. Having partners, having partners to help scale Green Lab will work. Yeah. It's not just about me anymore. It's about other people that are surrounded within the team who can help facilitate the development of a UK offer, help the development of a you know, Spanish offer. I've already got a contact in Madrid who works with part of the EIT, which is part of a European uh, information technology 
um, project and they look at urban agriculture as an opportunity to train you know um, younger individuals through tech entrepreneurship skills mentoring to, to develop uh, pr projects um, so there's, it's not just me there's other people you know you're on that list you know you're in this conversation before so there's a few other people there. so mm. I'm thinking about how do we create a structure that will allow us to do more and there's less of a dependency on me because at the end of the day you know if, the, if i get hit by a bus and i'm cycling to bermondsey one day who's going to pick up the reins of this thing or, or if you get frazzled if i get frazzled you're doing a lot man not yet and you are you are doing a lot in terms of hours and stuff and one of the things i'm really interested in is is i work for some really big clients who in the food and drink industry fast moving consumer goods they can't think this fast and they can't think this way because they've got too much to lose and they're not allowed to play. That was a rhyming couplet and it shouldn't have been, but I'm going to go with it. How can you interface with those organisations? What do they, how do you, what do they do to come and work with you? It's, I mean, honestly, it's quite easy. You know, they come along with a fat pile of cash and we can give them, give them some. <laughs> not just about the money, though. No, it's it? not. I think it's, it's it's think of this like the kind of Lockheed Martin. Um, skunk works yeah yeah or the uh, caltech where they were given they were, they were experimenting and playing they almost blew up a dorm room they were given some money and you know the the jpl jet propulsion library that's what yeah. started lockheed Mar martin you create a chinese wall give them some money give them a, a, a direction off they go and they start to create and innovate i think any organization has an innovation team but they're sometimes constrained by the corporate politics either because of funding they're not separated from the, the physical operating requirements of the business. I think for me, it would be to co-create spaces within Green Lab. So for example, there you are, there's 500 square feet. That's your space to play. Can you, will, will help you play and solve some of the challenges. We can interface into universities, the likes of UCL, UAL, Imperial, Westminster. And we can set challenges that are nice. commercially driven. And we then obviously work with the universities. And we act as a conduit, because we've got the space. Well, you act as a babel fish. Yeah. That's interesting. So I guess in some ways, my like the, the CIO is the one with one foot in technology, one foot in the business. Yeah, yeah, he understands what technology can do, but what the business really needs. So I'm the kind of the the AIO, the Agriculture yeah. Information Office. You know, I sit with one foot in academia, one foot in kind of the commercial world. I understand a bit of both, but I'm not an expert in any one or two. So for me, doing that, so you know, Innocent, Coke. Um, Starbucks, net, any of those who are facing one bad PR from you know uh, bad practice or, or per perceived bad practice uh, in the way they sell their products or looking to change over their, their business model to retain customers, to retain brand value, to bring a new, you know, more sustainable, savvy, younger generation. All is, you know, it's just a, for me, it's, it, it's a no brainer. You sit down, conversation. How do we do it? Right, let's go and do it. Mm. And it's all, it's all. Um, um, it's taken me. It's taken me a long time to get to this point. You know, from the, from about thirty, I was I, I I didn't know my arse or my elbow in terms of where I was going. I ran a marathon across the Sahara, and suddenly, oh, I can do this stuff. It's not it's not difficult, right? Off I'm going to go and do some things, big things. So for me, I can I can. This is just, you know, it's like a it's a large burger. On a Sunday afternoon, just got to get through it. And I'll get through it, and then right, next one, oh, let's go, next one, let's go. I think the relationship with large organisations is more tiered than that. 
Yes, you want the dough. Yes, you want the briefs. But I think if you can create a, um, a spa an incubation space here where small startups come and sit inside, and because the small startups don't know how to get to scale and to market, it's look, it's look when that happens. And the big businesses don't know how to get to, to, to fresh ideas. They actually have the same ideas, but they just don't know how to grow them. Yeah. I think that Babelfish role, that conduit role, could be significantly bigger for you than, than, than you think, or for us, than, than we think. And I think it's a, it's, it's a question of getting people in the, same, in the same space to start off with. And I think, you know, a series of events and, and, and open days, more than open days, you've got to be active, hooked into people like Innocent, who I'm seeing this afternoon. And, you know, there's a really nice little bench grade trial you can do with Innocent. You come up with a new strain of spirulina or a new strain of flax it's, breast. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I spoke to some of their um, product guys, and they're, they're the ones that look at the, the look at developing new recipes for on-shelf products. They don't look at the kind of the agricultural practices that, are, yeah. that may generate 40% waste of their product. So I'm, in, I'm more interested in the agricultural totally. waste as opposed to new protein shake. Well, that's a yeah. kind of that's a that's a chef's role. You know, we're not at that point yet. We're kind of more. Look, you're wasting all this great food. Can we either recycle it? Can we process it? Can we turn it into fertilizer, fish feed, or? Yeah. But that bench scale tri trial, you can do for super fast, super cheap, um, and you've got the protein. <laughs> the protein. When I say super cheap, I mean relative to going to commercial markets. Yeah. I think there's a really lovely opportunity there. Um, and Brixton's going to be, how long is Brixton going to be before we're, we're up and running? We are looking to move probably towards the end of September this calendar year with a view to probably opening our doors formally early 2019. Yeah. We've got to build this thing out. And December's going to be quiet on a commercial front, but also it's going to be relatively quiet for us. But we've got maybe November, October, build, change open in Jan and then just smash this, you know, for the next five years. We've got five year tenure, five year lease to do this. Amazing. Yeah. So going back to that little boy who was burning ants with his magnifying Leaves. Glass. Burning leaves. leaves. Yes. And if he'd have, if, he, if the 30 year old you had had the conversation with that little boy, how proud do you think he would have been of you? I think I think you I think he'd be really happy, but I don't think he would have ever envisaged himself doing this now. I was going to say, now have that conversation. Yeah. I think the thing that the, the conversation I've liked had with my dad, because I loved him to see this space. Yeah, but he never saw it. But that's another story. But he saw Fab Lab. No, he never saw Fab Lab. He, he, he you know, as you know, my, my family live in Spain, and so um, he, he never saw it. But I described it to him. So you know, in the last moments, he, he kind of got a visual treat of what this space looked like from, I guess, my own fair fair words, whatever. And if you haven't got a dream, you haven't got a future. No, I, th I think everybody should, you know, everybody's got dreams. I think you're very lucky if you can put one of them into practice. Doing two of them, oh my God, do all three, amazing. Depends how many dreams you've got. You know. This for me wasn't, it wasn't a dream until I discovered, you know, the, the, the kind of, the, the, kind of in the nine year old had kind of woken up when he saw the kind of the fish, the plants in you know, aquaculture. And that, that's, that's took me, it's taken a long time to find that. That's sweet spot. But that's okay. We're allowed to take our time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just got to make sure I make the most of it over the next 40 years. You're going to do it. Andy, what you're doing is astonishing. What, you, what you've always done is pretty amazing, to be honest with you. But seeing you come of age with this is an absolute joy as a friend and as a, as a kind of you know, business, as an occasional business partner. And um, you're going to do really well, man. Cheers, mate. I, I really hope so. Thanks for your time. Oh, thanks, Mark. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Andy's a great guy. Um, 
and he's part of this a bigger network. It's not just Green Labs um, in in the UK in London. There are there are Green Labs in many other countries, and and more importantly, there are more people like Andy everywhere. Um, and it was Chris Jordan, I think, who did that amazing picture of all the environmental groups, and the whole idea was that we you feel that you're alone battling away in your little environmental group and he looked at all of the environmental groups in the USA and he made a sphere of their names by writing their names down as a line and then before you knew it there were way over a million groups and and this little name that it started with had become this massive sphere that was 10 times as high as a as a person it's a really beautiful piece of art Chris Jordan's art generally is um absolutely on the money in terms of sustainability it's really worth looking at his stuff he was involved in um digestion of ocean plastics by by seabirds which ultimately leads to their death obviously um many many years ago probably a decade ago now so he was he was well ahead of the curve um there uh, and, and so too in terms of community action and it's interesting to think back at that, that time in bradford which was it was exciting, you know. We started an alternative currency, shit name though. We called it Bradlets. Never going to work. Um, uh, and my neighbouring authority, Calderdale, which is where um, the fabulous Pamela Warhurst um, uh, started um, Incredible Edible. Pam's a good friend of mine, and I remember all of that stuff kicking off um, in her authority as well. And under her tutorage, um, we saw the ca the cardboard to caviar project begin where we where, where a guy called Graham Wiles took a load of shredded cardboard and um, leased it out as horse bedding to Manchester Mounted Police Service or Force or whatever they're called and then took it back off them um, with added shit and piss and uh, and composted that using tiger worms and obviously you get you get the compost you get a liquor that you can sell and you get tiger worms um, which they breed you take the tiger worms and you feed them to sturgeon and the sturgeon lay their eggs and that creates that creates caviar so um it's a really nice project and that part of the world was quite dynamic um so it's really lovely to see that thinking catch light and and, and truly get to scale anyway i hope you enjoyed that please um listen to the next episode if you've got any suggestions for people who are doing astonishing things that you think would make great podcasts uh, let me know Mark at thisisapeape.co.uk. Cheers.